I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Run over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 26th, 1990. We are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles, and it is time to award the best film of 1989 at the 62nd Annual Academy Awards. Let's do it. The envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to... <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy, Richard Dizanek, Welcome back to yet another episode of The Envelope, please, a podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. We are back. And I have I have to say something real quick here for our ceremony. We get Billy Crystal hosting for the first time. The very first time. This it's is happening. Uh, it's happening. And I I watched his um his opening monologue yes. on YouTube. Um, he has a few uh, good jokes. Of course, the first thing he does is he references the debacle from the previous year. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> and he says, is it just me or am I glad that I'm not Snow White? Oh, my. <laughs> um, and uh, he made a lot of jokes about how much money Jack Nicholson is making apparently oh, well, this would be around the time of ju- batman right yes about how much money he made for batman now i'm telling you jack is so rich morgan freeman drove him here tonight i'll tell you that right now whoa oh my god <laughs> oh my god topical <laughs> jesus um i know and i was like that seems um anyway uh and then he also said jack is so rich john peters still cuts his hair oh my god <laughs> Because, you know, John Peters started as a, a hairdresser, in case you... So true. Um, so good. So, uh, uh, also, interesting note, you know who the president of the Academy is right now? Um, who is it's, it? It's uh, Carl Malden, one sure. of my favorites. Checks out. Um, and so he does the, the intro before Billy Crystal. Uh, Billy does end up doing one of the, at the very end, one of the little musical... Um, yes! medleys of the best picture nominees that he's so famous for um super cute um he also has a few other jokes i'll mention um that he says uh uh he he references the fact that driving miss daisy didn't get a director nomination by (laughs) saying jessica tandy is nominated is nominated for driving miss daisy the movie that apparently directed itself (laughs) um so true so true and then um he also says uh that 1989 was a big year the berlin wall fell nelson mandela was freed and meryl streep is not nominated (laughs) (laughs) oh that's the best one that's such a good one um he also uh he um he makes reference at one point to Shirley MacLaine being, uh, oh, he says, okay, let me back up. He says Jessica Tandy uh, would be the oldest Oscar winner ever if she was to win, excluding Shirley MacLaine, who is 915. <laughs> all of her. All her lives. All her all lives. Her yes. lives. So, uh, uh, but that did, I, that did end up happening. Jessica Tandy did become the oldest winner at that time, at 80 years old. And this is what I think is actually hilarious, too. Driving Miss Daisy is still the most recent PG-rated movie to win Best Picture. And I just think that's that's kind of an interesting note, I think, that we don't really have any other films, I guess, of that rating level to win Best Picture since then. You know, we had tons of them kind of back in, like, the 40s and stuff, and movies were a lot tamer due to the production code. But now we're seeing, with the absence of the code... A lot of movies are getting a bit more risque, should we say. (laughs) And that's considered to be posh, I think. I think it's considered to be um, more important if it's... Definitely. If it's it's a little 
over the edge. We get a lot of PG thirteen. That's yes, not unusual, we do. But um, which isn't too scandalous. But you know, um, but there's a lot of R rated ones. A lot of R rated movies. Yes. Do you have any snubs for this year? Anything that you wish would have gotten a nom? <laughs> Here we go. I mean, uh, yeah, there's I, quite I, a few. I've got quite a few. Do do we want to do we just want to tackle this right off the bat here? Um, Are we talking about the I mean, ridiculous snub of "Do the Right Thing"? Is that where we're going? Could you hold on one second? Yeah, I got My you. cat yes. has a, discovered a toy with a jingle. I do hear the jingle, the jingle jangle. They're gone. Okay, um, she just it. popped up on the table. Like where? <laughs> where did you um, put it? Uh, like it's a game. Like I, we're playing hide and go seek. Um, so I think here's the deal. I think we both obviously are aware that do the right thing is horribly snubbed in almost every category of this year. Is that what you were getting on about? Yeah, I was just wondering. Do we go ahead and we talk about it now? Well, um, let's get into more of do the right thing when we start tackling the best picture race. So, are there any other snubs outside of do the right thing that you would have liked to have seen here? Uh, yes. Um, first of all, kind of fun one. Um, there, uh, I mention I there's a I'm gonna go see a Bond movie tomorrow night. Yes. Um, and I'm gonna mention a Bond movie right now. Um, as I have mentioned on the podcast before, I watched all of them recently, <laughs> and um, I am not the biggest fan of the two Timothy Dalton Bond movies, but License to Kill. Um, has a really great performance um, from an actor, let me get his name right, an actor named Desmond Llewellyn, who, um, Llewellyn, very, very nice British man, um, who uh, was in every Bond movie from um, Dr. No uh, all the way to The World is Not Enough. And he oh, played wow. Q, who um, is now played by uh, Ben Wishaw um, right. in the more recent Bond movies. Um, John Cleese briefly uh, played Q in Die Another Day and was like Q's apprentice in the one before that. And then he, Desmond, died. And anyway, um, but uh, the character is the one who does all the gadgets. Yes. And he his biggest role in any John in any Bond movie, at least this version of the character, is in this film, and he ends up um, getting involved in the case, and he's super fun the entire way through. It's the type of performance that you wouldn't normally see in the best supporting actor category, but he's just such a delight and such a wonderful character actor who is in all these movies, I would have loved, loved, loved to see him um, represented as kind of an offbeat nominee. Um, I also would have liked a similar nomination um, for another one of my, uh, one of our favorites, um, Mr. Sean Connery. Yes. Connecting through Bond. See, I'm going on a journey. Um, Because he is fantastic and totally different than he is in any other movie playing uh indiana jones dad in indiana jones in the last crusade junior um which is a great uh which is a great indie movie as well and there could be arguments that it could be represented in other categories and be perfectly at home there because it isn't quite raiders but it's pretty close and it was, um, honestly, um, Last Crusade was my favorite indie movie for a very long time. Very, very long yeah. time. I do love it. And mainly because of Sean Connery. I agree with you. He's one of my snubs, too. I think he should absolutely be in the supporting actor race. I think he's great. My biggest snub, however... <laughs> Here we go. Um, is there is an absolutely beautiful film that won Best Foreign Language Film this year called Cinema Paradiso... Mm. and it has uh, first of all one of the best scores of all time the fact that it is not nominated for original score is a travesty Mm. in and of itself but it is i think the best movie about loving movies that has ever ever been produced um 
it uh if you if you haven't seen it um to give you a little brief synopsis let me make this nice and clean i'll just read this right off of imdb because i don't want to do my version which would make less sense um a filmmaker recalls his childhood when falling in love with the pictures at the cinema of his home village um and forms a deep relation a deep friendship with the cinema's projectionist um there's a very dramatic scene too where the um the nitrate catches on fire and the place burns down and a new movie house has to be it's like ugh, and they show like the big thing is they had to cut out they had the, there were sensors and so self-censorship in the town and so they had to cut out all the kissing scenes and stuff oh. and um big huge spoiler at the end of the film he discovers the film clipped together of all the romantic scenes and it's just all of these classic cinema scenes um from like the 30s and 40s of uh you know just cinematic kisses and moments and it it's truly just a film lovers movie and Mm. i'm very glad that it won best foreign language film but there are many many times when foreign language film winners and nominees have made it into either the director or picture race and this movie should be there Mm. for sure no offense field of dreams <laughs> dead poet society anyway anyway uh okay i have one snub that um left over because i also had sean connery but my main <laughs> snub here is in the leading actress category and that is from miss sally field in steel magnolias i'm so <laughs> glad you said that i didn't even think of i well i i feel like we referenced this a couple of years ago didn't we we talked about this on an episode and i I forgot it when we actually got to it. So go ahead. Yes. I mean, I think she's just magnificent. Honestly, the entire cast of Steel Magnolias is phenomenal. One, we have... One nominee. And you got one nominee. On exactly. Software. And it's Julia Roberts and supporting actors, which I can understand because she was kind of a new budding star. And it's a pretty flashy role for her in this movie. But, you know, you could pull any of these performances out. I think... Um, Oh gosh, I mean, even you know Daryl Hannah. There's a young Daryl Hannah in this. She's absolutely beautiful. Dolly Parton does a great job. Um, you have Olympia Shirley MacLaine, Duc- who's great here too. Olympia Dukakis. Olympia Dukakis. You know, we have a bunch of past Oscar winners kind of all thrown together here, and it shows, right? Their chemistry is amazing. And Sally Field does that funeral take. You know, it's, it's the scene in one take, it's and it's such a amazing. good scene. Oh God, I want to know. It's it is one of the... I, I mean, like, I will sing Sally Field's praises all day long. Forever. Can I tell you my favorite <laughs> shot of her in this movie? Go ahead. My favorite shot of her is right after uh, Shelby, who's Julia Roberts, her daughter, collapses, right? And she has to go to the hospital, finally. There is a shot of Sally Field walking into the hospital... And it's filmed down a long hallway. So you see her walk in, and then the camera's just stationary. And it's it's a lengthy kind of scene of her just walking down the hallway really, really fast. There's just panic on her face, and she's trying to hold it together, right? But she just needs to get to Shelby's side. And we see her walk the entire length of this hallway, and we feel that pain. And I just think it's mm-hmm. such a great shot. And she's so good in that. Oh, I love it. I mean, I think that her performance dealing with that storyline is as good. And I think that Shirley MacLaine's performance in terms of endearment is a great performance. Great. I just liken the two performances together. And I think that Sally Fields is as strong as that performance. So why isn't it? And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's confusing because the movie was a huge hit. And and it did well critically, I believe. Oh, yes. and Sally Field is clearly somebody who the Oscars really liked. Really like, <laughs> yes, I know it's um, kind of a strange one too. And we have, but we don't you know, get another. We don't get another Sally Field. We only get one more nomination in supporting years later. Years and, later, and I, I gotta say, I think that there's another movie coming up in a couple of years that you could argue she was snubbed in supporting. Mm-hmm. I would agree. If you know what movie I'm thinking of. I think oh, that yes. there is another movie 
the year before that movie (laughs) (laughs) where just her delivery of everyone will know what I'm talking about. Um, just her delivery of the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. That alone deserves a nomination. Or if we're going to go like more dramatic when she looks at Daniel and she says, I want a divorce. Oh, crushes me. As a kid, I remember watching them being like, divorce is sad. (laughs) Life lessons learned in the film right here. 100%, 100%. So I'm, yeah, I'm we 100% both agree. with you. I, I mean, like, honestly, Steel Magnolias is, uh, I think because it is a female ensemble film, it was probably not taken as seriously. And so, so it is not in some of these major categories because of that. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Uh, let's move over to some spotlights. Is there a movie that you want to single out, a performance you want to single out, Rands? What do you want to talk to me about today? You know, um... This kind of works a little bit into snubs, too. There were quite a few movies that I thought could have been into the best picture race. Honestly, this is a very strong year. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention two different films sure. that were not nominated for best picture. So they're kind of best picture snubs. Yes. But, uh, and I'll mention what categories I think they could have been in, but I'm also going to highlight what I like about them. Okay? Love it. All right. First off, Glory is one of the best war movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, I watched it in high school, and we were just riveted. Mm. Um, and it tells a very, very little-known story of black soldiers fighting for the Union Army during World War II, and it has a total breakout performance from Denzel Washington, who um, won Best Supporting Actor very deservedly um, for this movie. Um, And I think the fact that it isn't nominated, uh, maybe they just thought they had a quota and they could only have so many films dealing with racism Mm. nominated in the major categories. I don't know. It's It's very bizarre to me. Or maybe it's like there's a whole bunch of old white guys making these decisions. I don't oh, know. Oh, bingo, bingo, but, bingo. We got there. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but Glory's a great movie, and it, it, it's very underrepresented here. But just spotlighting the fact that Denzel does give an incredible performance. Incredible. Also, um, one of my favorite movies ever was released this year. Um, and I'm going to highlight... The screenplay for When Harry Met Sally. There we go. Okay. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, When Harry Met Sally, starring the host of the ceremony, Billy Crystal, and Meg Ryan, is maybe, it is certainly, I would say, the best of the quote-unquote modern romantic comedies of the last, you know, 30, I guess it's more than 30 years now. But When Harry Met Sally really... um, shows the genius, I think, of Nora Ephron. And, of course, Nora Ephron would later go on to direct, Sleeps in Seattle, You've Got Mail. Um, Rob Reiner directed uh, When Harry Met Sally. I think that he does a fantastic job with the film. But the material, as it stands, is just so clever and dense. And, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about the sweet little interjections throughout the movie that show real quote-unquote real-life couples right. telling how they met, and they're all like, oh my gosh, where did they find these people? They're all actors. <laughs> right, on and... casting sites. <laughs> <laughs> they're all actors who were casted, and those stories are all stuff that Nora Ephron wrote. Love this that. incredibly clever dialogue, and there are so many just great, great mo- Like, their entire discussion throughout the first section of the film of, can men and women be friends and not have sex? You know, the way that they they meet and then a few years pass and they meet again and then a few years pass and then they become friends. Uh, Carrie Fisher's wonderful, sardonic, could be a Best Supporting Actress nominee character um, where she um, says, there's a man staring at you in personal growth. Um, yes. That's <laughs> one of my favorite lines when she sees him <laughs> in the bookstore. Um yes. The uh, the incredible scene right after Harry and Sally sleep together, spoiler, where um, they're having a four-way phone call. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a great argument for Rob Reiner 
getting a directing nomination. But again, the scripting and the way that the dialogue lays on top of each other, the performances from all four of those people, it's just such a great movie. It has such a great use of um, of uh, uh, music as well. A lot of um, pop songs uh, are mixed within, but it's it's older pop. It's like jazzy pop, um, you know, Nat King Cole and stuff. Um, and I, I just think when Harry Met Sally, I don't know if I can properly iterate this. I've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I, I think it's one of the best screenplays. I think it has, um, a Meg Ryan is just never more beautiful, never more beautiful than she is in this movie. Honestly, if we're gonna, I keep going back to snubs because there's so many things I wish had been nominated this year. But I think that this nomination, you know, you think about how Diane Keaton was nominated for Something's Gotta Give. Yes. Or Annie Hall. And Diane Keaton's always great, and she deserves those nominations. I'm not taking that away from her. I'm just saying, if we can nominate Diane Keaton for the incredible work she does in those romantic comedies, why can't we nominate Meg Ryan in this movie when she gives, I think one of the single best comedic performance scenes of all time in the diner when she fakes the orgasm. 100%. There is, I mean, doing that is so difficult on its surface. Um, The total abandonment that you have to have to have that moment. But beyond that, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And again, going down to the scripting, the great punchline of I'll have what she's having. Perfect, perfect button. Movie. But here's, I think movie. you hit on it. I think you hit the nail on the head though, Rance, when you kind of compared these performances to that of Annie Hall, I would go a step further and you know, please don't get angry. This is a better me. movie than Annie Hall. It is. But here's what I want to say though. <laughs> the comparison though, of when Harry met Sally and Annie Hall, there is a lot of crossover there, even in the style of the screenplay and in the way it's filmed. You mentioned the four-way phone call, how that's very creatively directed and set up. Woody Allen was doing that, too, with Annie Hall. There's lots of creativity in that. There's a whole... I think there's a lot of comparisons to be drawn between the two, and I think this is where we have that separation where Annie Hall, helmed by a man who had a lot of pull and power in Hollywood... Mm-hmm. obviously racked up more nominations, including winning Best Picture and Director, right? And then we have When Harry Met Sally. I think a better subject material because it takes the misogyny out of it and actually puts men and women on a level playing field and we see so, how things go. You know so what I mean? But here we have Written by a Woman, right? And yeah. I think it just wasn't given its due. And I think that has a lot to, to do with it. And ironically, it. Woody Allen is nominated for Best Director this year. Yet again. Which, I mean, you can... <laughs> Regardless, um, it, it's so difficult when my spotlights are also snubs. I just... Um, I understand. I, I get it. Yes. I, yes. I think that there are three movies I've mentioned now that should be in the best picture conversation. Glory, When Harry Met Sally, and Cinema Paradiso. And I'm... Uh, I don't know how to... Um, I don't know how to resolve my feelings on this because I feel like 1989 was a great year. And we haven't even talked about what's probably the most revolutionary thing that happened in 1989. So why don't you go ahead, do your last spotlight, and then we'll get into that. So I'll spotlight one that is nominated for Best Picture that I fully feel like deserves to be there. Um, And of this crop of nominees, probably should have won of these five nominated. That is my left foot. But I want to specifically talk about Brenda Fricker in this, who wins Best Supporting Actress playing the mother in this role. I adore this movie. I love it so much. It is a story of Christy Brown, um, an Irishman, who was born with a terrible case of cerebral, um, cerebral palsy, where he only has control over his left foot. And through time, he learns how to cultivate that, and he ends up creating wonderful pieces of artwork using just his left foot. But specifically, which is very deserving, he also wins Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. This is his first kind of huge transformation role, right, that he's now so famous for doing. But 
I think the more, almost more impressive part is the quieter role of Brenda Fricker playing his mother. The very long, um, supportive mother role. And she's really the ultimate example of this. I mean, she's taking care of Christy every single day thinking that his life will never amount to much because it takes his family quite a while to realize that um, Christy Brown is not, like, mentally handicapped. He just doesn't have control over any of his body parts, so he can't speak, right? So the whole, you know, first part of this movie is them thinking that he's just never going to amount to anything until, and here I just want to break down this scene for you guys, which I think is the one that clinches her Oscar and her place in my heart. There is this gorgeous scene where Christy Brown, as like a 10 or 11 year old, gets his foot <laughs> on a piece of chalk and he puts it in between his, his toes and he starts writing on the ground very slowly, just, you know, big letters. And the whole family starts to see him doing something. They're like, what's going on? What's going on? What is he, what is he doing with this? And slowly he writes the word mother on the floor. And as he's writing, we get M-O-T. And as every letter becomes complete, you see we cut to Brenda Fricker every time, the mom, and she's tears start welling up. And then she just starts to fully cry as she realizes now her son has so much more life than she ever thought. And not only that, he can now communicate with her. And it's so touching when she finally realizes that and their relationship completely changes. And, oh, it's such a beautiful moment on the screen. And she's mwah, perfect in it. I love her so much. For those of you who may not be familiar with Brenda Fricker, I guarantee you you are. If you've seen Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, she is the pigeon lady in Central Park. That is Brenda Fricker for you all. <laughs> she's a phenomenal actress. Which comes exactly. out after, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. what's beautiful is, you know, before My Left Foot, she was really only acting over in um, Ireland and even some in Canada, too. It was this movie and obviously this Oscar which brought her into the Hollywood game, you know, and she started to get these bigger parts and bigger movies because of this. And I just love that. I love it when it comes to a relatively unknown actress in, like, her 50s, you know, and she has this whole second birth of her career. I just think that's absolutely phenomenal. So please watch My Left um, Foot, everybody. It's such a treat. <laughs> yes. And she's still with us, I might say. And I will say, too, there is uh, something that happened a few years ago. The Academy did a re-polling um, for this year on what they now think, you know, decades later, what they would vote for now for Best Picture. And My Left Foot was the winner for Best Picture over Driving Miss Daisy. So I think that says a lot. Speaking of, speaking of, let's do it. The difficult thing... Let's get this off, <laughs> yes, the, off our chest. The difficult thing when discussing this Best Picture race is that there is, um, you know, obviously there's the movies that we, we spotlighted and talked about in snubs that we, we wish were represented. But there is a really big movie that was nominated for screenplay. Mm -hmm. That's it. It yes. Screenplay and one other nomination. Supporting right? actor. Danny Aiello was nominated. Actor. Yeah. Um two nominations um, for Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. Written by, directed by um, starring. Spike Lee. Starring. <laughs> starring. Spike Lee. And uh, very much about a black community with a very, very diverse cast. 100%. It is it is also a movie that is very revolutionary in tone and style. Very it's stylistic. In the way that it uses music. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you'll have Fight the Power stuck in your head. Yes. <laughs> um, and you'll see. You'll want to carry a boombox around on your shoulder. <laughs> and you'll see Rosie Perez dancing <laughs> yes. um, for her the rest of your role. life. And her first, first role ever. Role. Oh, she's um, great. She is she is great. Um, I mean, I'd put her in a supporting actress race. Just to know. Um, but uh, it is it is hard to not see that this movie uh, helmed, written and starring a black man, um, and critically lauded, mm -hmm. commercially successful, is somehow not in the best picture race. Um, and this other film, um, 
which I we need to talk about this in a in a as balanced a way as possible. But sure. this other movie, helmed by a white man, written by a white man, um, but starring a white woman and a black man, mm-hmm. um, it wins Best Picture, and so the white perspective on racism wins Best Picture, while the black perspective on racism doesn't get a nomination. And that is a very telling contrast. And it's something that, interestingly, was repeated again with Spike Lee nearly 30 years later mm-hmm. when Black Klansman was nominated for Best Picture. He won Best Screenplay. But Finally. <laughs> there were 10... But there were 10 nominees that were eight or nine nominees at this point, And it lost to a movie not unlike Driving Miss Daisy. Um, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. So I think you're right, though. We need to give both of these movies their due. Let's start. Let's start with Driving Miss Daisy. Let's kind okay. of talk about Driving Miss Daisy here first. And let's, um, let's qualify here. Sam and I are both very white my 23 and me was the most boring thing on the face of the planet um yeah. 99.9 uh northwestern european yep um <laughs> i um i i feel like especially in the last year and a half um i have been educated in many ways to internal biases that i have um and that are, I think, embedded in our society. So anything that either of us say is not coming from necessarily the perspective um, that should most speak on this topic. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sam and I have tried to inform ourselves and our opinions uh, as respectfully as we can. Yes, we're going to do our best here. <laughs> yeah. We are. So Driving Miss Daisy... If you haven't seen this, guys, it is a story of an older white woman, Daisy, Miss Daisy. And Jewish. she is forced, Jewish, yes, very true, yes. important, an old Jewish lady, Miss Daisy, uh, who is forced by her son to take on a black chauffeur to drive her around places that she is now too old to drive for herself. And over time, this unlikely pair become best friends. That is the plot line. Or, um, or, or I, I should say, she considers him her best friend good call you know what good call because she says that to him and he never repeats it he does not say that back to her i just think that's interesting that is interesting you're absolutely right so this is from a pulitzer prize winning play Mm -hmm. Uh, this was a huge hit on broadway they're still revamping this um and even still making television movies about this like this is a story that is still very much being circulated in pop culture today Mm -hmm. Um, and the and music is uh, by Hans Zimmer. The music um, is great. Is iconic. Actually, he did it all on a synthesizer without yeah. an orchestra, and it's you would totally recognize the theme if you heard it. Hundred percent. And I will say this, and I want to hear your opinions too. But Driving Miss Daisy is a great movie. This is a really good movie. It has wonderful performances, amazing costume and makeup work. The music is stunning. The cinematography is great. And even the script. I don't have so much of a problem with the script in itself. Mm-hmm. It's just... For me, I don't think this movie and this material does what it sets out to do. I don't mm-hmm. think it actually tackles its goal, right? Mm-hmm. Which would be, which is seemingly on paper, it's trying to solve racism in America, right? Or proving that it doesn't, it's not always there. Like, we can defeat it, right? And I think what, um, you know, Driving Miss Daisy is kind of listed in the canon of white savior films. Yes. Um, alongside uh, The Help and The Blind Side. Green Book, yes. Green Book. Um, I think, uh, like for it, using the blind side as an example, um, I think that that is a, that is perhaps the most egregious example, particularly <laughs> yeah, because it so. comes from, um, 
particularly considering that it diverts so far from the true story that it's based on to make the central black character um, more bad off and make this white woman save him even more. Right, yes. They had to, like, Um, raise the stakes just to, yeah. Yes, they had to give him uh, learning difficulties that he didn't have and stuff like that, which is, Mm -hmm. I I just think, um, you know, there were were stories after, a couple years after it came out about how wrong the movie got that real-life situation but the fact that it took a white savior story and found a way to make it more white savory <laughs> is is just insane. insane. Um, and we'll talk about how that should have been Meryl's Oscar anyway. I'm Julia Child. Um, you, think, you, think, but, you, think, you uh, think you think you think you think you <laughs> <laughs> in that particular year. Um, speaking of winning for comedies. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, so. <laughs> um, but in this movie, I think I I, res- I I like the fact that I don't think, to your point, that there is resolution. I I like that racism is just kind of mentioned and it's kind right. of there, but nobody is trying to fix it. And in fact, in the great moment that she could have quote that in most movies like this, she could have fixed racism, right? You know, which is by having him come in and escort her to this speech with Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she doesn't, doesn't take do the it. she doesn't do it, so um, she doesn't. You know, perhaps she becomes less prejudiced, but I'm not. I think she's still prejudiced when she dies. Yes, you know, and I think that. Um, even though she says multiple times, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not prejudiced, you know what I mean? But there's definitely that going on here. So I think that the movie is is still a white person's perspective, a white Australian's perspective. The director um, is talking about the American South. He was an Australian director, <laughs> Bruce Beresford. Um, and but it is written by I like that it was written by a it was written by a white guy, but it was written by a white Jewish man. Right. And I think that the parallels that he draws between Jewish um, Jewish American uh, prejudice and and uh, black um, racism, I think that the uh, racism to black people, I should say, um, I think that the parallels that he draws there are perhaps the strongest moments in the movie, uh, yeah. like when the synagogue, bombed i like that it happens off camera i like um i like uh, the little scene where they stop and they eat in the side of the road that is a great you scene. know um and just all these little moments that that show um this uh inequality in what they have in common and I do think that that is... I think the movie's greatest sin is that it won Best Picture over a movie that was better and should have been nominated. Um, I don't Absolutely. Think it's a, I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I think it has a great score. I think that there are flaws in the source material and that there are some perspective... There's some perspective missing that would have made the movie... Um, having the input, I mean, like, I would have loved this if it could have been written by two people, by this white Jewish man and then a black person as yes, well. Yes, that's because... exactly what I was going to say, because I think you're absolutely correct. Because I think that's I what's think... missing. Well, I think, yeah, all the subject material in this movie about Jewish persecution rings more truthful to us when we watch it, because obviously the writer knows that. That is yeah. his life and we don't right? ever see we don't get time alone with morgan freeman we don't right. get to um really know what his life is and and i don't know if the movie realizes that but i think that's why the most telling moment is at the end when he doesn't say back to her that she's his best friend yes because all we i know, think he has a whole life that we don't know well about. he does we know he has a wife and family someone that he talks we about and why them. he wants the raise is to help all of that but this but is this is them. 
And this is my central problem with the film. And I'm yes. going to try and speak as carefully as I can here. Mm-hmm. It's with the character of Morgan Freeman, who plays Hoke, the chauffeur. Mm-hmm. I think it is so clear that a white person wrote this character. Yes. I think the stereotype that Hoke is in this film mm-hmm. is what really sets this movie back. I mean, mm-hmm. essentially, Morgan Freeman is playing an updated version of the Uncle Tom character that we've talked about before, you know, way back yonder during minstrel season shows, right? He can't read. He can't read. He's yeah. got that, you know, kind of... And Still he's like by the white person joyful, to yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's 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 all of that stuff that people were parodying back, you know, during minstrel shows and whatnot. He is kind of playing an updated version of that, and that's what really bothers me in this movie, yeah. because we don't get his humanity, right? We don't see him interacting with anybody else but these white people and this white family, except for when he interacts with the black maid, right? Yes, that's about as close as we get. Which is seeing, uh, was played yeah. by Esther Roll, mm-hmm. um, who um, uh, she um, is best known. She's really, really great in her small little role. Um, she she's is, best yeah. known for being on a TV show called Good Times mm-hmm. in the um, in the 70s, which was one of the Norman Lear shows. It was a very revolutionary show because it had a black family. It's right. a black family starring in the sitcom. And there's a, there's a really great dramatic moment in one episode. You can find the clip on YouTube where, like, I think a, I think her, her husband died on the show or something. So they tackled a serious issue. And then she, like, drops a dish and she just goes, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> and uh, the way I do it is funny. But the way that she does it is, yeah, like, so... I just look at your face it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, me doing it, uh, it uh, I, I am clearly not a dramatic actor, um, but she, she pulled it off and she, yeah. um, uh, she also won a supporting actress Emmy award. Uh, she, uh, she was a really, really great film and television, um, actress. Uh, Good Times is also a spinoff from the, um, TV show Mod with, mm-hmm. uh, B. Arthur, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, in the seventies. Um, Very true. But so my anyway, to you, yeah. I just wanted to yeah. shout her out because she's great. Absolutely, because she is fabulous in this. I do love her little part in this too. But my question for you is, why, why, why did Hoke need to be written like this? Why does he have to be this kind of a character? Do you know what I mean? Do, yeah, why does he because have, the, uh, I don't know. The humanity that we get out of him is from performance. Um, which I guess I, I, I should note that Morgan Freeman has been defensive of the film. Oh, has he? I don't know if I've read any of this. Over the years with the controversy. Um, You know, obviously he has a different perspective. Definitely. You know. Um, Meanwhile, Spike Lee obviously has been pretty vocal about his opinion. The antithesis of this, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, his uh, his big quote is um, basically, uh, who cares about driving fucking Miss Daisy? (laughs) I my movie do the right thing is taught in film schools. Driving Miss Daisy, hundred percent. I love that. And, and the ultimate that, get back. And Driving Miss Daisy is a pleasant film. It's very. Pleasant. It is a pleasant watch, but it is problematic because mm-hmm. it is missing a voice. Yeah. Um. I will say production values stellar. The movie is beautiful. It Beautiful. has it has great cinematography, kind of this warm hue to it that I really mm-hmm. like. Um, all of and the it... period work on uh, with the the production design is fantastic. Oh, yeah. The costumes make up everything. I mean, we do have two characters that age. Well, not two. We have several characters that age twenty years throughout the movie. Oh, they yes. use and I think the most impressive there is Dan Aykroyd's aging makeup. He looks oh yeah phenomenal as we see him get older and older and older. I think that was really impressive makeup work. We also get a supporting turn from Patty Lapone. I feel like we need to mm-hmm. mention that real quickly. I I didn't realize she was in this movie <laughs> until so true. She's kind of kind of a funny little. She's part. awful. She's, I mean, I mean, she's, she's awful. She's good in the movie. But she's good she's, at being awful. Her character is awful. 
Um, totally. And there's, I just, yeah. and there's, there's also something there I would have liked to have seen more exploration of, though, because there's the, um, there's that tension between the, um, between the traditional Jewish lady and this son and his wife who are like assimilating. Um, and the way that Jessica Tandy seems to indicate is they're assimilating in order to fit in with the white Christians. And, right. um, and I think that that's an interesting side story I would have liked to have seen more. I get it's about their friendship. Um, yeah, it's just such a, it, it's just, it's missing. It's missing. It's missing. And I wonder if this is what we're trying to, maybe this is a better way to articulate it is, is this movie really saying something about racism in America? Is it? Is that, is that the point of this movie? I mean, I don't, I honestly don't think it is. And I think, I, I, but I, I think it's kind of it's irresponsible though. To. And that's yeah. exactly, but I think that that is irresponsible because if you're going to have these black characters who are in these positions of service, like being a chauffeur and being a maid to white people, you are already talking about racism. You can't avoid that. But this movie refuses to go a step further and actually comment on it or make any kind of um, point on it, right? It doesn't. It just brushes that aside. And it's like, let's just tie this up with a nice little bow and look at their friends now. And isn't that sweet? And it just doesn't... It doesn't do it any favors. So I think in the end, for me, it just feels a little irresponsible. It just does, you know? You're right. Had this been solely about uh, a second-generation Jewish family converting to Christianity, uh, much to the um, anger of the mother, you know, that's a movie in itself. To me, I'm like, that's plenty of material for you. Yes. And that would be something that this writer clearly knows because I think those are the scenes and the moments that really spark and come to life here. But anytime we start to even approach racism in this movie or the black experience in America, it just falls flat. Flat. And I, it, I'm glad that you mentioned it as, as talking specifically about hoax dialogue because I think that yes. that is um, – that is – my biggest I that was the first thing I noticed when I was watching the movie and I will say like I I I eventually got I I was enjoying the story enough that I there were a lot there were times I I forgot about this Mm -hmm. but there would always be little moments the first moment Morgan Freeman's uh his first scene Mm -hmm. I I was thinking like oh god the writing on him is bad yes um but but then throughout the movie, there would be these moments, like whenever we learn that he can't read, which was probably a very common situation sure. uh, for a man of his age. I just didn't like the way they brought it into the story, you know? Agreed. Um, Agreed, because it feels, it feels like a white belittling. savior narrative. Now this old white lady who used to be a teacher is going to teach the, the old black man to finally read. You know what I mean? It's just, ugh, ugh. It just feels you know, and so... And this is maybe where, where we crystallize, because, you know, we kind of started by saying, you know, it is a good movie. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of now talking about all the ways it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. I think that the reason, I think what you're saying, and I think what, what crystallizes all of this, mm-hmm. is that... It is irresponsible because it is because it is a good movie because mm-hmm. it is a well-made, well-crafted, well-edited, only ninety-eight minute movie. Um, because it's so easily digestible, because it's such a pleasant watch, mm-hmm. it is irresponsible because it isn't giving you uh, a full perspective on its subject. And you're going to walk out of it feeling better about you and your own prejudices. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have been forced to have a critical thought process. Yeah, because um, you haven't earned it. You, you don't earn it in watching this movie, right? Um, so, yeah, it's... it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and um, it should be noted, when you say that, like... Um, uh, it's irresponsible because people watch this movie, right? A lot of people watch this movie. This was a box office mega hit, which is I mean, really bizarre to me that this made so much money. It goes down like pie. It goes. I mean, it does, and that's the thing. You watch this movie, and it it is good. You know, it's like God damn it, like the sum of all of its parts. It's there. It's just 
it is really the character of Hulk. I'm just like, why did you have to write him like that? Why? Well, why did you write the write him? And why if did you, were gonna you have this, write this? If you were yeah. going to have this story, I think that, you know, like, I don't think anyone should be held back from writing an idea that they have. But I sure. think when you are presenting a perspective that is not your own, that is not, you are writing a character that is not from a background that you can understand, um, you have the responsibility to seek out people who can either partner with you or mm. help you develop that character and write for that character. Yes. Um, because uh, otherwise you're going to be presenting something, particularly with hot button issues like race, um, like uh, uh, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. um, that is not, that is your version of something and not an accurate version of something. And that's Definitely. where you end up having this movie, which is a pleasant watch that's patting you on the back and um, ultimately <laughs> you walk away with a skewed perspective of reality. Definitely. It's all about representation, right? We're, you know, during this decade, this time in 1980s and whatnot, we're seeing positive representation in front of the camera, right? We're not mm-hmm. seeing blackface anymore. We're actually yeah. seeing people playing their parts. We're still getting to that now with, you know, gay actors playing gay roles and stuff like that. But what we're still obviously working on in 1989, even today, is that representation behind the camera. And that is where I think the biggest changes need to come. And this, to me, you know, I'm going to mention another movie that is thrown into the white savior conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, was made about 20 years before this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think is better than this film. Um, and that's uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm mentioning it because Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is has problematic elements to it. First off, another white person's perspective on racism at the start. But 20 years from that... We should be farther, yes, than driving Miss Daisy. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. But you know what's? We, here's the deal, though. We did get farther because we got Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." It's just it didn't get the attention. It, it wasn't deserved. accepted. It exactly. Was not so let's move over to "Do the Right Thing" by the Academy audience. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about "Do the Right Thing," um, which I mean should be in picture and director and probably all the acting categories as well. This movie, on the other hand, tackles racism directly, and it takes place over the course of one hot summer day, and it is about um, a neighborhood full of white Italians, and then also the black group of people in this as well. And it's kind of how over this day they start to clash, tensions rise, and at the very end, one of the black um, characters is left dead. Due to police brutality. Um, What I think is just so frightening about watching Do the Right Thing in 2021 is how similar the world still is. And it just punches Mm -hmm. you in the stomach. Nothing has Mm -hmm. changed. Here we have two white cops eventually suffocating a black man for doing Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing wrong. Yes. What happened a year ago? You know what I mean? It's like, it just, uh, it just frustrates me so much that A, number one, we're still there, and B, number two, that this movie didn't get the praise. Or, uh, it got the praise. It got the praise. But the awards, because awards matter because awards are what's going to get your movie out into a larger public audience, which means more eyes on it, which means more conversation, which means more change. Right. Also, I mean, the thing is, one of the only reason we're still talking about driving Miss Daisy is because it won Best Picture. You know, exactly. Exactly. Imagine if you, do the right thing in one Best Picture. Where Where would America be right now? I don't know. I'm not saying. I mean, I that, don't know that a movie can do that. But, absolutely. You know, that's that's a lot of know, pressure to put on one film. But I do firmly believe that things would be a little bit better. I really do. Because clearly, the Academy members chose to ignore this movie because it makes but, them uncomfortable. But what, but what, we're, what 
what that shows us and why it's important, I think, that this... Uh, it's important to look back and see that this snub happened, to see that this other movie that perpetuated certain stereotypes um, won over it. I think that that is an important lesson mm-hmm. because that shows us where we were. True, but I would add this and to then, it. Yeah, go ahead. And I was I mean, just going to say it is happened, an important lesson, but is but, it a lesson that we actually learned? No, it is isn't. It still and that's why it's important because we're yeah. not looking back at it and learning the lesson. Correct. Because, um, because it happened again a couple of years it's ago. Still in a very, happening. Yeah, um, really. With a very scary analogy. Um, isn't that, that weird? And, it's weird. It's weird. And white savior films have done very, very well. The help, the Blind Side, mm-hmm. have done very, very well at the at the box office. I mean, not the, at the box office, yes, and yes. also at um, the awards where movies like Spike Lee films um, have not always been well recognized. True, and um, it's also important to note here that the only cast member that they singled out to give a nomination to is a white guy. Yes. None of the black cast members got nominated in this. Not yes. a single one, you know? And I nor think that's very the, telling. Um, nor the great uh, uh, debut performance from the Latina I mentioned earlier, yes. um, Rosie yes. Perez. So, 100%. I mean, 100%. And you, don't, and the, and you look at Hollywood um, and like Rosie Perez's career after this movie and she doesn't become a top box office star even though she mm-hmm. has a sensational breakout performance and that's because they're not casting people that look like her exactly in, in starring roles in Hollywood and giving mm-hmm. her a chance to um show that she could be an Oscar nominee you know like it's uh exactly this this is a flashpoint for us that we need to look back on and we need to talk about because yes. it shows us how <laughs> I think that up in I think it, up until the last couple of years, um, us white folk were very comfortable thinking like, well, we're post racism, you know, yeah, yep. and oh, isn't Driving Miss Daisy such a pleasant little movie to watch? And <laughs> you know, I think that the majority of white people were very much in that space, and I think that what we are seeing now is we have to look back and realize is all the ways we thought we were being progressive and we were not. Yes, we it's were a reckoning. Being regressive. Yes. Yes, 100%. And you're absolutely correct. This really is this year is a mark for that because not only do the right thing but glory, you know, another movie that hands down should be in the best picture race, but instead, mm-hmm. instead we have movies here like Dead Poet Society. We have Field of Dreams. Like, I don't know. These movies just, they seem so basic to me now, right? There's just kind of this weird... There's nothing in the Best Picture <sighs> category, uh, perhaps besides my left foot, um, that um, that feel like anything new. And when talking about Glory, when talking about Do the Right Thing, I think when even talking about When Harry Met Sally... The thing about all of those movies is that they they brought something else into yeah. cinema um, yeah. and something interesting, mm-hmm. and um, and it's not. It, it is worth noting that one of them, Spike Lee, was entirely behind a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them very much focused on black characters. Um, fighting in the civil war which is just such a great story true story um and another one was you know the directed by a man but the brainchild of a woman i i don't think that those elements and i i think talking about steel magnolias as well a a female ensemble film that isn't treated as seriously i think that we are seeing where the crossover is happening white men are the voters and they well, are I also recognizing think, yes yes the white voters yes i think what we're seeing here now because we have all of these really progressive films right that we just you just highlighted and then we see the crop of five nominees and we realize oh we are now directly seeing this generational gap 
of the old versus the new, right? And we're getting that clash here now, which we were talking about back in the 60s, right? We were talking about back in the 60s, same kind of thing. This doesn't get fixed in the next three years because the old people continue to be the majority of the nominees. Well, I mean... I mean, the nominee of the voters. It's only in the last five years that we've finally started to invite Invite. other than white people into the academy, right? Yes. So we're... Yes, we are now finally starting to see that. But I think this is a really strong year where we're seeing that divide really start to happen. You know, a divide we've seen before. And it's coming back. Everything, everything is cyclical, right? The film industry is oh, for not, sure. um, it's, it's not escaping that, right? So, yeah, we're really seeing that here. And it, yeah, it's just, you know, I just I would love for people to watch Do the Right Thing and then immediately watch Driving Miss Daisy after it. And you will understand what we're talking about. It's now, so It's egregious. Obvious. It's egregious. Yes. Um, it's so, obvious. so with that being said, I want, I want, I'm curious. Would you... Keep Morgan Freeman in the Best Actor nomination lineup. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to blame him for the writing of his character because I, I mean, the the where the character succeeds is entirely dependent on his very good performance. Um, yes. I I mean, I don't think I would take away Jessica Tandy's win. That's the one no, thing I, I might either. keep. I would I think because I think she does really really her character again. Because I think the writer understands her. Yep. Her character is written very well, and she plays the hell out of it. And she's really funny. It should be noted, she's really funny in this movie. <laughs> this I also a really... funny character. I like Jessica Dandy in general. She has a great little career after this movie for, like, the next yes. five years. She's in, like, Fried Green Tomatoes uh, um, and delightful. some other films. Uh, right up into her death, she she's basically a Hollywood darling. Yes. Um... And I, she's also in one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, which is The Birds. And uh, mm-hmm. she's absolutely fantastic. And I believe I mentioned her as a potential snub way back you in 1963. Um, you <laughs> I agree uh, with you. I would not take her Oscar away. I think this movie belongs to her. I think like, it's the I only think... Oscar. Yes. For me, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I wouldn't nominate Driving Miss Daisy for Best Picture. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And I think, you know, they kind of got it right with them omitting Best Director. Musical score and best actress would be the nominations I give it. I I don't want to take away Morgan Freeman's best actor nomination. Because he does I, do good work. You're absolutely right. I mean, he commits to every moment. He he crosses his T's. He dots his I's. He says what he needs to do. You know what I mean? It's all there. It's just the character on the page mm-hmm. is what bothers me. Yeah. And I, it's just like you can't. Do do you blame you? Do you take take it out on the actor for what he's having for the words he's having to say? Yeah, and you um, really kind of can't, you know. You can't, but he does. He does. The, where the movie succeeds, where it succeeds, entirely because um, of the of the music, cinematography, and makeup. the the makeup and the the great production elements paired yes. with. Um, the stellar performances of the two leads in the movie. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I'll I'll let him keep his nomination. Mm-hmm. I will um, I will let Jessica Tandy keep her Oscar. Um. Uh, but he's not. He's. De- I mean, like I think I think that um, the first Daniel Day Lewis win is a, is a is a good slam dunk for him oh well absolutely um, i mean there's no yeah. one who's gonna win this over daniel day lewis so that, that was a slam dunk from him from the start you're absolutely right yes but as we but as we mentioned there are a lot of people um many of whom are in the cast of do the right thing and um in addition yeah. to steel magnolias and uh when harry met sally i think that there are a lot of people missing from this race and that's like this is the thing that's just so confounding about 1989 is I don't know if we've hit a year where we felt so strongly about movies being looked over. You know what I'm saying? So true. I do know what you're saying. Yes. Our opinions. Maybe it's because we're getting into movies that we saw when we were alive. Like, they came out when we were alive. Maybe we just have more of a personal connection to these films that we're talking about now. Maybe. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that 
of this crop of five nominees, the only one that deserves to be here is my left foot, right? And then I think we should, we absolutely need to stick Glory in there. We need to stick Do the Right Thing in there. I'll agree with you. Shove um, When Harry Met when Sally Harry. in there. I'm fine with that. And Steel, Steel Magnolias. Magnolias. Is that how we're And we have yeah. five noms that five are beautiful. Of yes. those five that we just listed, then, what's your best picture winner? Is it When Harry it, Met it Sally? Should, it should be. Dude. I, I, when Harry Met Sally is, is one of my favorite movies, but I, <laughs> but I don't choose based on my personal yes. taste. I choose based on what I think should win. And Do the Right Thing is, by far and away, the best and most revolutionary film of 1989. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Do the Right Thing is also my best picture winner for 1989. That was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I know. I, I think we, we, I think we we did our I, we did it justice. And might I might I say I encourage other people to have these conversations yes. about movies that deal with topics such as race that you do not directly understand. And anytime you watch something that is about. Um, a perspective that is very different from your own mm-hmm. ask who is presenting this perspective to me yes and and what does their what does their pers- how does their perspective inform the subject matter and the material because mm-hmm. when you look at it that way then you'll be able to watch a movie and think more critically about it because ultimately what you were getting in a film is always the perspective of the people who made it. And if mm-hmm. you're watching something about race or sexuality um, and it's or gender and it's being told from the opposite of the person it's about, mm-hmm. then you're, you need to know that and you need to understand that. Yes. So that you don't walk away from that movie thinking you got a definitive take. Exactly. Yes. Yep. That is 100% true. And <laughs> I laugh right now because next week we're going to do a ranking episode, everybody. We're going to rank the 10 winners, best picture winners. You know where I'm going. The 10 best picture winners of the 1980s. That'll be our next episode. And then we get into the 1990s where we have another uh. movie. That is, I suppose, White Savior. It is another White Savior film, only instead of it being with black Americans, we're dealing with Native Americans. Um, Well, at least we're dealing, dealing, uh, man, this is during the the time of um, the reign of Costner in Hollywood. Yeah, Um, so we are going to be discussing Dances with Wolves two weeks from now for a 1990 episode I've seen Dance with Wolves. It's been a while, so I'm going to have to rewatch this one. I know it's like... Same. So long. So long. Um, Ugh, so, man, I, yeah, like... I think coming off of this conversation about Do the Right Thing, I think we'll be having sort of a similar conversation about Dances with Wolves and representation yet again and creators we doing also... their due diligence of hiring the right people to help them. We uh, also have to have a conversation. <laughs> we have to have a conversation the following year as well. Oh, you're right. Yes, I didn't even think about that controversy. Oh, God. Yeah, we have... We are uh... getting into some more controversial movies. Yes, we are. So, guys, join us next week. We'll have a fun one next week. We're going to rank the 10 Best Picture winners of the 1980s, and then we'll see you after that for a Dances with Spoiler, episode. Yes. Chariots of Fire won't be high. <laughs> oh my god yeah that's absolutely accurate that's, I'm cur- I can't wait to hear your list I can't wait <laughs> alright join us next week guys we'll be with you then fight the power fight the power fight the power fight the power